This is from the first letter of Peter. Hear these words from the book that we love. Peter says, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So just to give you all some context, we've been in the book of Genesis. We're not there today uh, because we're ordaining Stephen Wood today as a pastor of this congregation. If you didn't hear, yeah, well, it hasn't happened yet, but yeah, go ahead. It probably will before the service is over. If you haven't heard, there's a party and it's for everybody. It's for you if it's your first Sunday here. If you want to bring a friend, it's at Mall, Malt Street Gall House. No, Gall Street Malt House <laughs> um, in the basement of uh, Richmond Hall, Indiana, and Thompson, right across from Stokely Playground. So it might be thunderstorming, but the idea was have a place for the kids outside in the playground, run inside. Food is on the house four to eight. If you want anything else, dessert, drinks, anything like that, that's on you. But you're all welcome to come today. Get that out of the way. It was right that we not uh, stay in Genesis, I thought, because this is a perfect opportunity to talk about what a pastor is. And the Bible says a lot about it. A number of years ago, my wife's coworker, who was from North Jersey, found out that she was married to a pastor, and she honestly did not know what one was. She's a very intelligent woman, uh, and I mean, she was a university educator, but she was from a neighborhood in North Jersey where she knew a lot. She wasn't particularly religious herself, but she knew a lot of Roman Catholics, and so she understood the idea of a priest. Um, of course. Many priests also are pastors, you know, in a local congregation. But the word pastor, she just didn't really, she wasn't familiar with it. So whenever she would bring me up in conversation, she would refer to me as Karen's husband, the pasture. <laughs> she, she, that's how she would say it, the pasture. Um, and she, she just had to catch up to what the word meant. And that actually, she was more right than she knew. This is a passage that talks about what a pastor is, how you pastor, where you pastor people in terms of like what you're directing them to, and why you pastor. This is the, the what, how, where, and why of pastoring. And just starting with the what, there are one million roles that might be assigned to a pastor. Maybe it's somebody who basically just teaches. That is not what a pastor is. Pastors teach. That is a subset. If you refer to a pastor as a preacher, 
you have done something incorrect. Pastors preach, not preachers who, preachers who pastor. Some, some people think of them as CEOs. Some people think of them as nice people who stand up at certain functions to say a prayer to bless things. All these things have elements of accuracy sometimes. But pasture kind of gets at it. Because the word pastor literally means shepherd. One who tends a flock and like leads them into a pasture. They come from the same word. In Greek, it's the word poimen. In Latin, pastus. And whenever I forget personally what I'm supposed to be doing here, the word pasture that she awkwardly repeated, that dear friend of my wife, so many times after I corrected her, it always brings me back. The word pasture. The word pastor has been lost. Let's bring it back. Okay. The what, the how, the where, the why of pastoring, all right out of the very end of First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. That's the text if you got your own Bible. If you don't, it's not going to go back up on the screen, but again, it's on page 3 of your bulletin. So, what is a pastor? I've said a shepherd. Great. What's the significance of that? Well, just so you know, strictly speaking, the leaders addressed in this passage are not called shepherds or pastors. Shepherd is the verb. It's like he's saying, hey, elders, that's how he refers to them, or presbyters in the original Greek. You might hear the word Presbyterian in there. That's all Presbyterian means is an elder-run church. He's speaking in verse 1 to, I exhort the elders among you, verse 2, shepherd, verb, go shepherd the flock of God. The verb is used, shepherd, the people are referred to as a flock, but the word pastor or shepherd isn't exactly used. You should think of this passage, that is to say, as addressing anybody who serves as an elder in Jesus' church. Of course, today, I don't mind saying this is particularly addressed at Stephen. Can't help it. It's your ordination day. This is one of many Old Testament and New Testament passages that describes God's leaders as shepherds or describes the work as shepherding work. You need to know this about shepherds in the ancient world. They weren't, it's not like they were despised. I've heard it preached that way. It's not true. They weren't despised, but they were just, it, you can't get more average Joe than a pastor. You can't. I mean, it, it was a humble role. And whenever you see somebody like Moses, who is a shepherd, who's raised up to lead an entire nation, or someone like David, who's the youngest, off shepherding the flock, while the oldest six are brought before the prophet Samuel, because David's father saying, is saying, of course, if it's going to be one of my kids to be a king of Israel, it won't be the shepherd kid. It is making the point that this is an average person. It wasn't a flattering role. And of course, if you've read your New Testament, Jesus, in the Gospel of John, also refers to himself as the good shepherd. You don't like being referred to as a sheep. 
Neither do I. What does it imply? Well, at least in our culture, it implies things like, well, you don't think for yourself, maybe. Uh, it's not what the Bible has in mind. But you don't think for yourself. You're not that unique. You're just kind of like one of the pack. Also, not what the Bible has in mind. But generally, we don't like thinking of ourselves as sheep. But we do, I would argue, we do like to think of our leaders as shepherds. You will even hear this on the floors of Congress. That legislator was shepherding a bill through, through Congress. Why do, we like, well, be, why do we like this term? I think it's because it does imply a kind of intimacy. It's not somebody who's far off. It's not somebody who's ignoring. You ignore a flock, they're in trouble. It, it involves a certain amount of close contact. And again, there's that humility piece that you cannot shake off. Shepherds never thought they were great. If they wanted to be great, they would aspire to something else. All that's baked into the word. That's what a pastor is, somebody who's in close contact. Literally, that word shepherd or, or pastus means you can't separate it. It's both feeding and tending, providing for, giving nutrients, and fending off and keeping watch. But this pastor is nobody great. It's all there in the word. That's what a pastor is. Secondly, how does a pastor pastor? How does it work? Again, you can't shake humility out of the idea of what a pastor is. But it's right there in the first verse, too. Look back with me. This is the word, these are the words of Peter, by the way. Don't forget, this is the one that Jesus spoke to and said, you are the rock on whom I'll build my church. And listen to what Peter says to all these other elder presbyter pastors. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. You might think that just, he's, he's saying, I'm just another fellow elder. You might think that that's incompatible with somebody who said, I was there watching the sufferings of Christ. Yeah, from afar. And at the last minute, he ghosted, right? But this is, this is the rock. That's how he got the name Peter, Petros. It means rock. Simon Peter is the rock on whom Jesus built his church. Him coming among these other elders and saying, you know, I'm, I'm just, we, we're doing the same stuff. It's kind of like Hank Aaron, uh, or if that name's too old, uh, like Bryce Harper. Going, towards a, going to a bunch of minor league or college baseball players and saying, we both play baseball. Or like uh, Jackie Joyner-Kersey going to Penn Relays and talking to a bunch of runners and saying, we all run. We're runners. It is a humble statement. Humility leads the passage. But let me go on. Verses 2 and 3. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. If you, if you, if you got one of those old family Bibles that happens to be King James Version, the shameful gain line is beautiful. It's literally filthy lucre. So I'm just going to say, again, filthy lucre. Not for filthy lucre. 
but eagerly, not domineering over those who are in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Peter gets into humility again when he speaks to everyone. Down in verse 5, he says, clothe yourselves, clothe, clothe yourselves, all of you, in humility, including the pastors. But we're going to get there in a minute. Let me just go back. We already know it's humility that's baked into the name, but listen to the specific charges. Exercise oversight, not under compassion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. How do you pastor? The best phrase I can give you is bold humility. You are nobody great if you're a pastor. You can't say that more clearly. You can't think of the word without remembering that. But you got to show up. Do you think ever that humility is contrasted with boldness? It does not have to be. You can be bold and humble. Do you confuse humility with passivity? They are not the same. Humility does not mean cowardice. It does not mean shrinking back. Peter says really clearly, step in. Shepherd the flock. It's your calling. Not in a domineering way. Not in a way that you take control. But you've got to show up. Be humble, but step in. Show up. Be present. Do not be absent. Willingly, not for gain, but eagerly. Not domineering, but being examples to the flock. How do you do this, folks? I mean, like you, do you ever hear somebody say, and I know what they're talking about, as soon as someone wants to be elected to political office, that's exactly how you know they shouldn't be elected to political office. Like, like the only person who should ever run for anything has to literally be dragged and be screaming and crying, no, not me, before you vote for them. But we kind of know what, you, what, 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 that, what that sentiment is about, right? It's like, what person who actually steps up and says, I want to lead something, can you really trust? Maybe there's 1,000 toxic motives behind it, Maybe, maybe they just want to change the three or four things that they're sick and tired of seeing go wrong. But then what? How can you trust anyone? Peter's saying, look at the charge. Be bold, but humble. Knowing that you are no one great. Bold humility not domineering. I think that one of the best illustrations I can give you of this, folks, is some of the better parenting I've seen. Um, and I saw this from my parents sometimes. So credit where it's due. I saw it from my parents sometimes. And there are people in this congregation that I see it from. Being bold and humble and not domineering, but showing up and doing the work. Here's how you think about this. When you see somebody in a congregation, or think about this particularly in terms of an adult child, maybe, or, or maybe somebody who's like 17, about to go out into the world, that you can't really just force to do stuff like eat their oatmeal like they're seven, but you also need to show up. What you cannot do is just take the wheel of their life and jerk it in the direction in which you think it should go. That's not what Jesus does. And it's not what a good pastor or a good parent does. Not ever. 
but you do show up. It's something, you know what it's like? It's something like pleading. You've probably seen a good parent do this once or twice, saying, I can't control your life, but I'm gonna show up and be right there and speak timely words of wisdom as someone who deeply cares about what happens to you. And I don't look away, and I don't sweep it under the rug, and I don't run away from the discomfort of it, but I'm gonna be right there saying, please don't go down that path without acting like it's your job to jerk the wheel of their lives. That's the kind of thing Peter's saying, keep showing up. What do you, who else is going to? Show up, speak plainly. You know you've gone too far when you feel like you're making their life your own in such a way that you're forcing them to do something that they refuse to. That's where you know you've gone too far pastorally. But you're right there saying, Jesus is this way. Food is this way. Safety is this way. His will, his blessed will, as if he doesn't want everything for you, is this way, not that way. That's the how. I think that pleading is faithful to this passage, and it's the best way I can describe it to you. Where? That's the what. That's the how. The where, the where can't really be separated from the how. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, I'm going to finish that sentence under the final point. When the chief shepherd appears, I want to give this to you as the where of pastoral ministry, the direction of pastoral. Where are you directing the flock? Like if, if you're saying, like you think about Psalm 23, he leads me, where? Besides still waters. You're leading a flock somewhere. And that somewhere is to Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd. If you've ever rented a car, it's kind of tough right now. I tried to a month ago, and just like that episode of Seinfeld, they didn't hold the reservation. They actually, it, it really is happening right now. I made the reservation. It was meaningless. <laughs> Where do you drive a rental car? Where do you take it? In the end, there is only one answer, if it's a rental car. Back to the rental office. And what happens when you get there? They look at it for dings. They take it, they, I used to be an insurance claims adjuster. They would take out that, uh, that green uh, washable marker and, uh, or red one, and they would circle all the dings saying, this wasn't there. This wasn't there when you took it out. This wasn't there. This wasn't there. What have you done? What have you done with this thing that was entrusted to you? That's the congregation that's entrusted to you as a pastor. They're not yours, Stephen. Every pastor is an interim pastor. Every pastor is an interim pastor. Every parent is an interim parent. And so are you trying to do no harm while exercising bold humility all the way to the destination? What's the destination? It's Jesus. You're bringing it back to him. And you got to bring it to him as, you, you, you got to navigate things every step of the way as if you're returning it to him. And it makes a difference. It makes such a difference. Every time you think about what you're actually doing in this role. Let me, I'm going to go scripted here because I don't want to forget any of these words. And they're for you. 
<clears throat> Stephen, there are 10,000 resources. <clears throat> there are 10,000 resources on leadership, and some of them are wise. But every cause that is not Christ, especially when it comes to religious life, you must forsake when it comes to pastoring this congregation. Anywhere you lead them but Christ does harm. Christ is the destination. Christ is also the path. Christ is also the guide along the path. Christ is also the food along the way. Christ is also the power to endure along the way. And Christ is also the legacy behind us in that we will behold at last. Your job is not primarily to fix problems. Your, your job is not primarily to relieve pain. Your job is not primarily to make people adhere to a strategic plan or volunteer or just be well-behaved for the sake of abstractly being good, though you need some of these skills. All the powers of hell are not aligned against you fixing problems. All the powers of hell are aligned to make you lead somewhere else but to Christ. That's where. And this is for the rest of us. Us, not you, us. If you are at a church and you are led to Christ, I don't mean just once for all, I mean in an ongoing way. If you are part of a church and you are led to Christ, in word and deed, if you are led to Christ by a pastor, you will be okay. I mean that in the biggest sense, in the ultimate sense, in word and deed now. It involves somebody who knows they're not great, knows how to repent when they are confronted, is accountable, just another fellow elder, right? If you are led to Christ, you will be okay. You will be frustrated. You will be annoyed by other kinds of dysfunction and organizational ineptitude or relational ineptitude. I promise you every church has problems with either or both. But if you are led by pastors who are honestly trying to repent to Jesus when their sins are brought to them and set no other goal above leading you to return to Jesus for the rest of your life, you will be okay in the main sense. But on the other hand, if you have all these other things, the problem fixing, the pain relieving, the beautifully organized path towards some strategic plan, if you have all these other things, but not the clarity of Jesus always before your eyes, you will not be okay. And you should flee from their counsel like antichrist. And by that I mean, I know we think of Antichrist as like Marilyn Manson. Um, and it is alluded to as like kind of like a demonic figure in the book of Revelation. But when that word is literally used, I'm talking about the letters of First and Second John, they are just talking about any spirit or energy that 
turns you away from the face of the living God in Jesus Christ. And so that's not an overstatement. It's the best advice I can give you to flee if Jesus isn't clear. And that includes within this congregation if Christ is lost. He's the destination. That's the where. And finally, why? Let me just give you the rest of the text, folks. Let me give you verse 4 all the way to verse 7. Let's look at this together. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Stephen, I want you to know, and I want all of you to know, part of the humbling work of pastoring people involves knowing that there is no returning this congregation to Jesus without at least a couple dings in the fender. Everything I've said so far standing you're not great in of yourself. You return to Jesus first with your sins and be accountable. Be boldly humble. Even so, even Paul had to call out Peter for bigotry. You know, I hate that Peter did that to the Gentiles in the midst, but I'm kind of glad we have it in Scripture, that Paul was bold enough. It couldn't have been easy for him in like this early letter to a church to say, Peter himself blew, he dinged up the church a little, a little, and had to repent. The ultimate hope for you all and for me is not good pastoral work. That's not the ultimate hope. Because that itself would be following the wrong map, right? That's not Jesus. Our ultimate hope, yours, Stephen, and mine, and all of ours, is that Christ will lift us up himself. That's how Peter ends. Do you remember the last description Jesus gives of himself in his good shepherd discourse in John 10? As you know him, you know he's the good shepherd. Why? Because he lays his life down for the sheep. Jesus alone forgives sins. Jesus alone breaks the power of death. Jesus alone secures our eternity by his atoning death on the cross and resurrection for us. The only way to offer that out to anybody else is to receive it yourself. So Stephen, why do you serve as a pastor? You serve because you've been served by a chief shepherd. And let me end like this. Peter specifically says, you serve because, in verse 4, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And you know and your parents know that that word in Greek is Stephen. The Stephen of glory. What is it? This crown of glory. Is it like something, are you actually going to have a crown on your head? Is it, is it, you know, it, it's, it's crown in the sense of like an award that goes to somebody who finishes a race. Can you touch it? Can you wear it? I mean, maybe, but I doubt that's the main point. Just like Jesus Christ is the destination, the path, the guide, the food along the way, he's also the Stephen. 
He's the crown. He's the reward. He himself is that full and eternal blessedness which contains and completes every true blessing that we can imagine. And so we don't take our eyes off of him, least of all in pastoral ministry. Stephen, your hope is your name, your crown, your reward that is Christ himself. It will come because you're lifted up, not because you're great, not because you're flawless. You're lifted up like the rest of us by the grace of God that comes through Jesus' cross and resurrection. Our only hope in life and death. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.